Good morning, church. I, uh, I just got to confess, I'm, I'm coming to the pulpit this morning just physically, emotionally weaker than I have ever, ever. I, I have struggled so mightily just for the past few months with anxiety, and uh, it's just really hit me this week, and I've really struggled with even just thinking that I have the ability to preach this sermon. And I, I don't know if I can, we'll see. And I don't say that to draw attention to myself. I promise. I just say that, to, that, that just to ask for your prayers. Even, even right now, pray that I would, I would breathe little things physically, that I would feel the ability to speak. And I know some of you have been in that situation. <laughs> like you're struggling with things in life right now that are, that are hard, that you don't understand. You don't understand why God is working in such a way. You don't understand what he's doing. You don't understand why he's put you on a certain path or physically you're, you're drained or financially you're drained or emotionally you're drained or your relationships are drained or you feel like the church is drained, whatever it is. You're struggling and you don't understand it. And you, and you, this, last night I was in my... I was, Prepped for my sermon, I was bawling my eyes out, and I said, "God, I don't know, I don't know why, why I'm like this. I don't know why I'm struggling so bad. I feel like I'm a different person. I just feel like I'm so weak. I'm so weak, and I've I've lived my life just with such confidence. And I realize that's exactly what God's doing, because in our weakness, it's not me that I'm strong." Is he is strong. He is made perfect in our weakness. So in this morning, whatever good may come of it, I, it's not me. Certainly it's not me. It's the Lord will work and the Lord will sustain. Which is why I love the book of Joshua. Please turn there, Joshua chapter 1. The book of Joshua is all about God fulfilling his long-awaited promise to bring his people into the promised land. It highlights story after story about how the Israelites were to live as they watched God's promise unfold. It shows moments of faithfulness, patience, courage, and strength. It also shows moments of weakness, doubt, and sin. Yet the book isn't just a collection of interesting stories meant to enlighten us or entertain us. The book of Joshua is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, as Doug always likes to remind us. And while all of the promises of Joshua are not directly tied to us today, we, like the Israelites, awaiting entrance into the promised land, await a time where Christ will come to reign on the earth and dwell with his people. We will be free from sin. We will be free from suffering. We will be free from anxiety. Our enemies will once and for all be dealt with, never to be seen again. All pain and strife will be over. We will see Christ in His full glory, and we will worship Him with our glorified bodies, not at all marred by the presence of sin. It will be a day, church, where our faith will indeed become sight. Yet, in the meantime, we wait. In the meantime, We walk by faith. And if we're honest, walking by faith is hard. When we look at the world around us, it can be easy to think that Christ isn't building his church the way he said he would. When we look at the disunity, dysfunction, 
and sin in the church, it can be easy to think that the gospel is powerless and the promise of sanctification is fanciful. When we are brought to our knees and suffering in this life, it is easy to think that God has abandoned us altogether or that he never existed in the first place. So in the midst of the many struggles in this life, instead of our lives, Christians, as we look at them, instead of finding love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, we often look in the mirror and find ourselves envious, angry, hopeless, depressed, faithless, harsh, anxious, fearful, impatient, doubtful, critical, and impulsive. Not only that, but our Christian walk can feel like a whirlwind at times. The constant barrage from other Christians to do more, from other Christians, the call to do more or to do things differently or to be bolder or to be quieter or to attack this issue or that issue or to be on this mission or that mission can lead to a deep insecurity in our Christian lives. It can lead to the constant feeling that we're never doing enough or that faithfulness only looks one specific way in the Christian life. Is this God's will for our lives? Is walking by faith simply walking around discouraged, angry, anxious, skeptical, and insecure while attempting to hold on to some semblance of good theology? I would appeal to you that is not at all God's will for our lives, Christians. God's desire for His people is not to walk in unrelenting insecurity, but in strength and in courage. I'm just telling you, I confess this this morning, I need these truths more than ever today. I need these truths in this very moment. I suspect some of you do as well. This is why we need the book of Joshua today. We need Joshua not because it points us to the faithfulness of man, but the faithfulness of God. My main point this morning is this. Meditating on God's faithfulness should lead to a life of strength and courage. Meditating on God's faithfulness should lead to a life of strength and courage. So with that, I hope you turn to Joshua in your Bibles. I'm going to be attempting to preach through verses 1 through 9 today. Please follow along as I read. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness of... uh, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous being careful to do according to all the law that that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. I have three points. Point one this morning, whenever God calls us to obedience, he first reveals himself to us. 
Whenever God calls us to obedience, He first reveals Himself to us. When we truly meditate on who God is, we have to admit that God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. Psalm 115 tells us that our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. He doesn't owe us love. He doesn't owe us compassion. He doesn't owe us knowledge of himself. God has every right to show up on the scene and demand anything of us. For he is creator. God doesn't owe us an explanation. God doesn't owe us any context as to why he would demand anything of us. God doesn't have to prove himself to us. God would be perfectly just to not reveal himself to us at all and still demand the world of us because of who he is. Yet, that is not who God is. That is not how God relates to us. God is not a heavenly dictator who sits on his throne barking down commands to his servants. God is not some distant impersonal force He is a God that has graciously revealed himself to us. Through the scriptures, God has given us his plan, insight into his character, his attributes, his love for his people, and so much more. And typically in the Bible, when we see God calling us to trust him, to obey him, to worship him, or to love him, we find that God almost always provides a reason we can trust Him. We should obey Him. Why He is worthy of our worship and He is worthy of our affections. He most often does this by revealing not just random facts or random threats, but by revealing Himself to us. Said a bit differently, God most always roots his imperatives to us and indicatives about him. I'll say that again. God most always roots his imperatives to us in indicatives about him. This is what we find at, at the beginning of the book of Joshua. Now, as, as, as we begin this book of, of Joshua, we must acknowledge that we are in an incredibly interesting time in Israel's history. In the book of Exodus, God uses the prophet Moses to bring the Israelites out of slavery and promises to bring them into a land that he has promised them. Yet, as one would read in the book of Numbers, because the Israelites did not trust and instead chose to turn to idols, the generation that was delivered out of Egypt would not enter into the promised land. Instead, the unbelieving generation wandered around the wilderness for 40 years until they died out. Once they died off, God would fulfill his promise to the Israelites. God would indeed bring his covenant people, Israel, into the land that he promised. And this is where we find ourselves in Joshua 1.1. Moses, who led the people of Israel for 40 years, has died. And now Joshua has taken over as the leader of the Israelites. Now one can imagine how hard that had to be for the people of Israel. Moses was a prophet who spoke face to face with God Almighty. He was a godly, faithful man who feared the Lord and walked according to his ways. In fact, if you you turn likely a page back in your Bible, Deuteronomy 34 tells us that Moses lived until he was 120 years old. His eye was undimmed, his vigor was unabated, and the people loved Moses. In fact... They mourned for 30 days straight after he died. We must also understand that there was, uh, there was never another prophet like Moses in Israel until Christ steps on the scene in the Gospels who didn't just speak face to face with God, but was God in the flesh. Moses was the deal. You hear me? And so one can imagine how difficult this must have been for Joshua. It is difficult to lead any group of people. It is especially difficult to lead a nation. It is even more difficult to follow in the footsteps of a leader like Moses. So one can imagine 
as God is calling him to do this, the insecurity that he must have felt. He must have felt so much doubt as to whether he could lead the people to trust in Yahweh. Not only that, but it must have been difficult for the Jews to look to their younger, far less experienced, far less impressive new leader. It must have been a struggle to go from a leader who spoke face-to-face with God to a leader who didn't. Yet, in the midst of Joshua's likely feelings and abilities, God had an incredible calling for Joshua. God was calling Joshua to do something Moses couldn't do, lead the Israelites into the promised land. This would take great courage. This would take great wisdom, great strength, great trust. However, God doesn't just bark down a series of demands from Joshua. He equips Joshua for the task. He gives Joshua the one thing he needed most. He reveals himself to Joshua. These are the truths that Joshua was to consider as he walked in obedience to what God called him to do. Now, church, God has not given us a piece of real estate in the Middle East to conquer or to take hold of. He has not called us to lead the people of Israel. He has not called us to walk around walls, blow trumpets, or kill people who are opposed to Yahweh, as we will read about in future days in Joshua. Yet God has called us to a calling far more glorious and miraculous and eternal than Joshua's calling. Christ has called his church to take the good news of the gospel to the nations. We're not talking about one nationality or one strip of land here. Our mission, our calling church, involves every square inch of the globe. Our mission, our calling, involves people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Our mission also involves living out the truths and implications of the gospel in the context here of Community Bible Church. Yet, when we consider our calling, it is easy to grow faint-hearted. It is easy to be discouraged. It is easy to be apathetic or pessimistic. It is easy to be fearful. Why? Because it is easy to be focused on our own abilities, our own strengths, and our own weaknesses. When we take an honest look at ourselves, we know that we are completely inadequate in and of ourselves to do what God has called us to do. I mean, can you imagine it? God has called us to take the gospel and evangelize the world. I mean, it's crazy if we look at ourselves. And in the midst of our mission, we are met with sufferings and trials. We might deal with health trials, family trials, church trials, money trials, or emotional trials. We might deal with infidelity, the death of a parent, sexual or physical abuse, or have a loved one renounce the faith altogether. Such suffering in our lives can be crippling. It can be confusing. It can be hurtful. It can throw our whole world for a loop. The very least... The situations in our lives can become incredibly distracting to what God has called us to do. So what do we need? What do we need, Christians? How can we walk in joyful obedience to what God has called us to do? Well, we need the same thing Joshua needed. We desperately need a clear understanding of who our God is. We need constant reminders of who God is and what he has done. And so let's look at how God revealed himself to Joshua. And church, let's be strengthened this morning. Let's come out of here a bit stronger and more courageous. First, we see this. First, we see that sometimes God reveals his holiness to us. Sometimes God reveals his holiness to us. I see this in the first two verses of, of, of Joshua, Joshua 1. Now, if you read the first two verses of Joshua, you might be wondering how I derived the holiness of God from those two verses. 
However, Joshua more than understood God's holiness as the Lord was speaking to him. Joshua was more than aware that Moses, along with a faithless generation who was brought out of Egypt, was unable to enter into the promised land because they refused to see and trust in who God really was, the holy, sovereign ruler of the universe. However, the text doesn't speak about the people of Israel in general, but about Moses specifically. Now, we don't have time to look at the whole story of of Moses specifically, but Deuteronomy 34 tells us that Moses died a very godly man. He wasn't some slouch. He wasn't some lightweight. Moses served the Lord faithfully, yet Moses did not serve the Lord perfectly. In Numbers chapter 20, the Israelites grumbled against the Lord because they had no water. Now, if you've read the first five books of the Bible, you know that the Israelites constantly grumbled against the Lord, yet the Lord constantly provided for his people. We're not much different. Therefore, Aaron and Moses appealed to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. Now, in the midst of their grumbling, Numbers 20 doesn't say that the Lord God was angry or that he was about to pour out his wrath on the Israelites. It doesn't say anything. You can go back and and read it in your quiet time later this week. Instead, God instantly and graciously tells Aaron and Moses to take the staff assemble the whole congregation of Israel together, and verbally tell the rock in front of them to yield water. Isn't God gracious? In the midst of their grumbling and complaining, God still remains gracious. Instead of doing that, Moses misrepresented God. He did. Moses chastises the people of God. Instead of obeying God's instructions explicitly, Moses angrily hits the rock twice and water came out. Therefore, in Numbers 20, God tells Moses and Aaron that they would not enter into the promised land. Why? Because Numbers 20.12 says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Then Numbers 20.13 says something truly telling. These are the waters of Mirabah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. We must understand that God is holy, church. He is distinct. He is set apart. There is nothing and no one like our God. And hear me, he will not be misrepresented. He will not be mocked. God is jealous for his own glory. If you're looking for a great sermon on the holiness of God, I would go back to Stephen's sermon a month ago. I've been gone a month, so a month and a half ago. Go back and listen to it. It's great. But as, as we consider God's Holiness, what should the holiness of God produce in us? As we meditate on it, what should it produce in us? It should produce awe, wonder, joy, humility, fear. Do we need, do we not need more of this in our lives, Christians? Do we, do we not need more awe of God, more wonder of God, greater humility, greater fear of the Lord? I would suggest, Christian, you don't, you don't need to try harder. You need to meditate on the holiness of God. We need to find far more awe and wonder in Christ than sports. We need far more joy in Christ than sex. Only when we gaze upon our holy God can we have true humility. Only when we see God as holy will we fear him. I'm not saying fear in striking you dead. 
I'm saying you, you fear him in such a, such, a, such a way that you are in awe, in wonder, that he is all that you desire. So what does Joshua think about when God mentions the death of Moses? Joshua was likely reminded that that God takes his own glory seriously. God calls his people to be holy, for he is holy. Equally, as God's ambassadors here on earth, we must remember this as well. In our battle against sin and the flesh, there was no greater motivation than the holiness of God. And one final thing that the holiness of God produces in us is gratitude. Is gratitude. Why? Because if a man like Moses wasn't good enough to earn God's righteous standard, neither are any of us. Like Moses, we needed a savior. We needed someone to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. God has provided that for us in Christ Jesus. Let those of us in Christ not only tremble when we consider the holiness of God, but also live with a deep sense of gratitude, knowing that we can approach that holy God by grace in Christ Jesus. Second, God often reveals his sovereign plan to us in his word. He often reveals his sovereign plan to us. In verses 3 through 4, God reminds Joshua of the promise he made to Moses. This wasn't a promise that was just given to Moses, though, but a promise that stretched all the way back to Genesis 12, where God promised to make a nation from the seed of Abraham and to give them a physical land to dwell in. God even specifically spells out the physical dimensions of the land that he was going to give to his people. And this giant plot of land was already inhabited and fortified by mighty and uh, barbarous nations, but God was revealing his sovereign plan to Joshua. God wasn't calling Joshua to focus on the obstacles before him, but on the God who would go before him and accomplish his sovereign plan. This promise that God made many generations prior to Joshua was about to be fulfilled. God would call Joshua to walk by faith as God accomplished his good and sovereign plan for his people. Today, God calls us to consider his sovereign plan for us as well. We need daily reminders of God's good plan for his church. So when the church seems to be dwindling in influence and number in America, we must remember Matthew 16, 18, where Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. We need to hold fast to God's sovereign plan. When evil seems to abound around the world and we experience injustice in our own lives, When it seems like the unrighteous will get away with their sin, we can remember Psalm 1-5 that says this, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. When we are tempted to despair from our own sin, we must remember John 10-28 where Jesus promises us that no one will ever be able to snatch us from Jesus' hand. We are safe and secure in Christ. We can never lose our salvation. When life is harder than we can bear in our own strength and we're in the midst of the worst kinds of suffering, we must remember Romans 8.28 that says, for those who love God, all things, all things, every possible scenario in your life works together for your good, for those who are called according to his purpose. When we're tempted to be distracted by politics and often find ourselves discouraged as the political minority in our country, we can remember God's sovereign plan for us in Revelation 22.5 where God promises that God will be our light and we will reign not for four years, but forever and ever with him. And we could go on and on of God's sovereign plan for us. 
We don't have time. Third, God often reveals his providence in our lives. God often reveals his providence in our lives. And in verse five, God tells Joshua that no man would be able to stand before him all the days of his life. No man will stand before you, Joshua. As I mentioned earlier, this promised land was already filled with nations that on paper were far more impressive than this group that was wandering around the wilderness the past 40 years. We're going to see this. These nations were already established. They had forts, they had walls, they had weapons, they had chariots. They were all mightier and scarier than Israel. Yet, God promised that no man would be able to stand before them. I greatly look forward to the coming weeks where we see this unfold. You know, this... This might have sounded a bit absurd to some people. However, as Joshua was an assistant to Moses, he was well aware of how God brought down one mighty nation already in Israel's past. He was well aware that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God called his shot that he would bring his people out of Egypt, and he did. God brought down Pharaoh and all the pagan Egyptian gods simply by decreeing it. If God was able to provide in the past, God was certainly capable of providing in the future. Without knowing every obstacle that was before him, Joshua had every reason to trust in the providence of God, no matter what the Israelites faced. The Heidelberg Catechism defines the providence of God like this. The almighty and everywhere present power of God whereby, as it were, by his hand, he still upholds heaven and earth with all creatures and so governs them that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, health and sickness, riches and poverty, yeah, all things come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. This means that our good and holy God is in perfect control of all things. He is working all things for his purpose, and nothing can thwart his purpose. God, understand this, God doesn't try to do anything. There is no trying with God. He does. He simply does. God does whatever he pleases. So when God makes a promise, Christian, he is always able to deliver. And we can trust him. We can trust his promises. That is not us. We are so far from sovereign. Let me tell you one example. Many of you know I've been gone for the past five weeks on a trip with our family. Here's how not sovereign I am. On average, I, I, I on average read about one book a week. That's, I know some of you read more, some of you read less. That's where I'm at. So, I knew I'm going to be gone five weeks. I brought five books. Thinking, naturally, if I'm gone, you know, I'm, I'm on vacation with nine kids in an RV, that I would have plenty of time to read. Of the five books that Brian and his sovereignty brought, I did not read one sentence. Not one sentence. I mean, I had plans. I, I had goals. I had, you know, I couldn't bring any of that to fruition. Not one sentence. But God isn't like that. God isn't like that. See, God doesn't set goals and not deliver. God's purposes and provision aren't thwarted by lack of time or resources. He's not affected by economic hardships. His abilities are not hindered by who is in public office. No Supreme Court autonomously aids or stops his purposes. God's sovereign providence cannot be thwarted. And this is so important to understand in the Christian life. If God is completely sovereign over all things and is actively working all things for his glory, then we can sincerely and genuinely trust the many ways God has provided in our lives. For instance, if you struggle with anxiety like me, 
You can turn to Matthew 6 and see that God is sovereign over everything in your life and and will provide in such a way that you can joyfully seek his kingdom and his righteousness without worry. In other words, if you don't have it, God, in his good sovereignty, says you don't need it. So rejoice. And far more impressive than God's ability to provide for our physical needs, however, are his ability to provide for our spiritual needs. We can remember Romans 8, 38 through 39 that remind us this. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, Christian, God's providence reminds us that there is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Why? Because the Father provided us with God the Son, and nothing can come between the love the Father has for his Son. And we are found deeply and securely in the Son. Fourth, God often reminds us of his presence. He often reminds us of his presence. In verse 5, God makes the greatest promise of all to Joshua. He tells him that he will be with him. There would never be a moment where God abandoned Joshua. There would never be a moment God would forsake Joshua. Now this isn't because Joshua was perfect. Joshua was completely worthy to be forsaken by God like the rest of us. God's promised To never leave Joshua wasn't based on Joshua's performance, but on the love and graciousness and faithfulness of God. There was nothing or no one Joshua needed to fear because God Almighty would be with him every step of the way. Christian, this is not a promise that God just made to Joshua. If you're in Christ Jesus, Jesus has promised that he would never leave us. In fact, circling back to our mission for a moment, as Christ gave us the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus doesn't just remind us of his authority to give the commission, which he most certainly has. He doesn't just give the disciples a task at hand. Perhaps the most important part of the Great Commission is that Jesus would be with us always, even until the end of the age. This means that we don't have to minister in our own strength. We don't have to minister in our own intellect. We don't have to minister in fear or in apathy. We don't have have to let the, the weight of this whole life and all of its anxieties crush us. Why? Because Christ is with us and will be with us until the end of the age. Not only that, but Christ is with us in our afflictions and sufferings as well. Meaning that we never suffer alone. In fact, Romans 8.26 tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Holy Spirit doesn't pray, listen Christian, the Holy Spirit doesn't pray that all of our earthly situations will change. It's not his prayer for us. But that in the midst of our sufferings, we might have joy, conviction of sin, peace, and love for Christ. He prays that our strength would be in Christ alone. Christian, isn't it good news that Christ will never leave us? Never. Point two. In light of God's character and work, in light of who God is, in light of his character and work, we can walk with confidence in this world. We can walk with confidence in this world. We see this in in verse 6. In verse 6, we see that in light of all these amazing truths about who God is, what he has done, and what he would do for the Israelites and for Joshua, God calls Joshua to be strong. Courageous. Out of who he is and what he has done, what he will do. Joshua, be strong and and, and be courageous. 
These two words for strong and, and, and courageous, they, they don't signify outward physical strength or a boisterous boldness. He wasn't calling for Joshua to be a physically gifted loudmouth. When I was in my 20s, I would often look at older men who were quiet and went about their business a bit more privately as passive and weak and unfaithful. To me, real Christian men were loud, bold, decisive, always out front, blunt, etc. My standard for biblical masculinity and strength were guys like Mark Driscoll. And we see how that played out. With that as my only standard of masculine strength and courage, I burnt a lot of bridges that way. And I couldn't have been more wrong. That's not what he's calling Joshua too. In fact, strength and courage isn't just a, a, a masculine trait. We're going to see this all throughout the book of Joshua. When we get to chapter 2, first thing what we're going to see is a, a woman showing strength and courage. Look forward to it. God's call for Joshua demonstrating strength and courage wasn't a call to a specific looking personality. The call for strength and courage was a call to a steadfast, fast trust in God. That was the call. It was a call to trust in the character of God. It was an unrelenting call to trust the promises of God. It was a call to trust the sovereignty of God. It was a call to trust the providence of God. It was a call to walk in true conviction that Yahweh was Lord It was a call to obedience no matter what the cost. It was a call to treasure Yahweh above everything else the nations had to offer. Christian, hear me. God is the only one who knows all things. He is the only one who can do all things. He is the only one who is truly good. He is the only one whose purposes cannot be thwarted by anything. In other words, God is the only one and only thing in the whole universe in whom we can truly have unshakable confidence in. Only God alone. Only God alone. I listen to investment podcasts. I don't know if any of you like investment podcasts. You know, I'm not, ad, I'm not advertising for them or anything. But if you do, you, you often hear paid advertisements. And they, they, they often use this phrase as they're trying to get you to buy their product, to invest with them. These are some big companies. They're powerful companies. They've got a long decades track record of, of good performance. And they advertise that you should do this. But at the very end, they say this. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You ever heard that? Past performance is not indicative of future results. These are some of the richest, most powerful companies in the world. I mean, they could buy their way into any room. They they, they could influence any politician in any world system. These guys are brilliant but they're not sovereign. And they know that. Therefore, they have to say, past performance is not indicative of future results. Friends, the only one in this world who can truly make guarantees every time and bring them to fruition is God. And God is calling us to trust him in the midst of whatever is going on in our life. He's calling us to put all of our hope in him alone, no matter what comes before us. And in fact, he's quite the opposite of the financial experts. God is calling us to trust in those future results because of God's past faithful performance. God is batting a thousand in all that he has ever desired to accomplish, and he will not stop. 
So what does walking and strength and courage and the character and work of God look like? What does it look like? What does it look like to walk in confidence in this world? It means that when life looks different than we think that it should, we come before our sovereign God who promised never to leave us and pray that he would give us hearts that trust him. It means when we struggle for for joy and peace in this life, we come before our God who promised to give us peace through Christ Jesus and pray for joy. It means when we are overcome by temptation to sin, we remember our holy God who calls us to be holy and has enabled us to repent and flee from temptation to pray for repentant hearts. When we're tempted to jealousy, we remember that God has sovereignly provided everything we need according to his will. In other words, in whatever we're going through, we find our strength in God alone. Period. Period. No other person can do this. No amount of money can do this. No situational change can do this. No change to your diet, no change to your exercise, no change to your appearance. Nothing, nothing fulfills us, gives us joy, gives us hope, gives us peace like the Lord God Almighty, period. Christian, God's will for you and whatever you're dealing with is not for you to walk around angry, anxious, depressed, or apathetic in this world, waiting for the Lord to return. Oh, this world is just awful. Just come, Lord Jesus. Or just waiting to die and go to heaven. Those are great promises. We should pray for the Lord to come, but not just because we're just so downtrodden all the time and angry and anxious and depressed. It's a good desire to go be with the Lord. That's what Paul said, but not because Paul was just fed up with everybody in the church. Right? God's will for you, God's will for us, Community Bible Church, is for us to walk joyfully in strength and courage, trusting in God's character and providence. And never is this more evident than seeing what God has provided for us and offering Christ on our behalf. Understand this, Christian, that we can walk in strength and in courage in light of what Christ has done on the cross. I'm telling you this right now. If you are in Christ, your biggest need has been met. Do you understand, Christian, the treasure that you have in Christ? Do you understand all these things that we've read, the promise to, to, to never leave you, to never forsake you? to give you strength and to uphold you, provide in your life everything you need for life and godliness. It's found in Jesus. God has not called you, Christian, to walk alone in this life. He has not called you to sit here and to search the world for things that will satisfy. God has given you Christ. He alone is our hope. He alone is our strength. And through him, our sin has been paid for. And through him, we have been united to a holy God. And through him, we will live in the sinless, perfect presence of God forever. Because we earned it? No. Because we were worthy? No. 
simply because of the graciousness of God. Such truths, no matter what situation you're dealing with right now, no matter what, no matter what, can give us rock, solid confidence and strength and courage to walk in the midst of trials and struggles and to fulfill God's mission for the church no matter what comes. So, church, I won't get to point three this morning. Let us continually meditate on Christ. Let us continue to meditate on who he is and what he has done. And I will tell you this, one quick story, then I'll be done. This is how we need to encourage one another. In the midst of struggles and trials and whatever's going on in our lives, we, we, we don't need to encourage one another just, oh, it's just going to be okay. Life could get a lot harder. We don't encourage each other with better circumstances. You know, we, we shouldn't encourage one another to envy or jealousy or anger or bitterness. We need to be people who encourage people with who God is and what he's done. Last night, I, I told you I was just sitting there struggling. I was just texting James and I, I just... I was like, I'm, I can't preach. I can't. I can't do it. I physically can't do it. Never felt that way in my life. Y'all know that. <laughs> and, and, and James is, is, is coming before me with Scripture, reminding me of who God is and what he's done. That's the kind of way that we need to interact with each other in here, friends. That is what we need. May we be a people in the midst of life that we're constantly pointing one another to our good and holy God and what he's done. May we hope in that, not to change in circumstances. Amen? Amen.